from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill School of Medicine. You are back for another episode of AOE Engage, the podcast. My name is Judson McDonald, and today we're chatting with someone who gives me a run for my money when it means dressing really well, and perhaps the best in the School of Medicine. This is Dr. Winston Lee. Winston is an assistant professor and associate residency training director from the Department of Psychiatry. Last year, he was also elected as a council member of the Executive Leadership Council of the UNC Academy of Educators. Without further ado, we should jump into it. And dear listener, I should probably say he saved us a copay today. Welcome. Uh, We have started this podcast as a way to share stories of some star medical educators. And honestly, it's it's the way for me to force people to hang out with me. (laughs) It's a great strategy. It's working well, I think. I'm telling you, I mean, my mind goes to the people that I see in the hallway, usually every day at work. And when I think of Winston, I think of many words such as empathetic, kind, professional, stylish, confident. You're definitely someone I get to interact with a lot on a typical basis. And even online, it's been great to keep in touch with you. Who are you? And what is your role here at the UNC School of Medicine? Well, shucks, Judson. Those are some very kind words. But my initial reaction is, uh, you got the wrong guy. Did you uh, (laughs) invite Christina Shenvey or Lindsay Wilson or Eric Slamer? we, need, we might need to have to reschedule the interview here. <laughs> the email went to the wrong person and I'm just committing <laughs> with it now. So you're in for the ride. Right. That, that would make much more sense. Um, <laughs> that's very kind. Uh, as you alluded to, I have many different roles at the university at, at my job, including being an educator, being a clinician. I have several roles in the psychiatry residency at, at UNC, including being the associate program director, I help to oversee the didactic curriculum. And then I also teach for the physician assistant students um, here at UNC. Clinically, I do inpatient psychiatry work. So I get to wear a few different hats in in my work life. I think that is also what I enjoy a lot about my job is getting to, to do many different things, to get to work with many types of folks, students, residents, clinicians, other staff. The thing, I think the thing that the thread that connects all of my work is getting to teach, being in an educational milieu and environment. And that's what I love the most is being able to connect with learners, being able to be a part of their professional growth and development, to be a part of that, that atmosphere each and every day. And that's been you know, a lot of fun for me. I, I do see, I think part of it being an educator is getting people excited, inspiring people, making folks passionate about the work they do or the things that they're learning. So I, I do try to uh, bring bring a certain energy to the room when I can, when it comes uh, to teaching. And uh, in truth, I'm uh, quite an introvert, actually. It doesn't necessarily maybe come extremely naturally to me, but I do feel that when it comes to teaching and when you're giving talks and lectures, bringing in kind of energy and excitement to the room is, is really important. Um, so I do try to project those qualities, even if I uh, maybe don't necessarily feel the most uh, confident or, or um, you know, uh, excited person, maybe naturally, actually. Right. And that's a tall, tall sign of knowing yourself too, and kind of knowing your impact and your energy and knowing, you know, even on the worst days, you know, you can still give off that energy and, and perhaps the people closest to you certainly will know like Winston, what's up today? Like your smile is only like a fourth of the quarter way up. Um.
Dolly Parton often jokes that you'll never catch her without a wig, makeup, and heels. Even if there's an earthquake, she will have those things on when she's outside. For you, I like to think that's the same rule. This is because I've never seen you without a shirt, tie, badge, your glasses. Like if I saw you walk into the school with like a sweatshirt on, I'd probably lose my mind. (laughs) So I'm curious, what's Winston like? when he's not on the clock. I think that's the first time I've heard my name and Dolly Parton's in the same sentence, uh, (laughs) which will take as a great compliment. Uh, Incidentally, I was thinking a bit more about Dolly Parton in the last couple months when I heard she had contributed, uh, donated money towards research that produced the COVID vaccine. Yeah. Off the clock, I'm someone who uh, loves being outdoors. I am a, a big distance runner. I really enjoy running as a means of both getting exercise, but also I find it just tremendously relaxing and it's a great stress reliever for me. Back in the day when these things could happen, I used to love to run half marathons. Wow. And I would actually love to travel and try to do a half marathon in whatever city I was traveling at. I call it the racecation, the try to do a race during your vacation. Um, I heard it from someone else. I didn't invent the term, but that's what I, <laughs> I love to hike as well. I also had a thing about going to the national parks, especially the ones out west, and just to be in, in nature, to see spectacular landscapes, really, really um, enlivening for me. Um, so I try to do those things as much as I can. Of course, I've gotten to do much less of that in the past year, mm-hmm. but when I have free time, when I have the opportunity, that that's what I love to do. And when I'm off the clock, I'm afraid uh, it, it's a lot of sweatpants as well. I, I hate to ruin the, um, the, the mirage, Judson, but... Uh. <laughs> it actually helps me feel better because, you know, I, as I currently sweat, sit in my own sweatpants, I'm like, <laughs> well, maybe I should have put pants on for this um, since I'm talking to Winston and Winston is going to be dressed to the nines. It's really cool to know that you're a long distance runner. I totally relate with that. Is it something that you you've done your whole life or is it something you kind of found later on in your career? Later on in life, I uh, was never an athlete of any type growing up in uh, as a kid. I was what you would call a nerd. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but actually in my last year of medical school, I had friends who were doing a half marathon in, uh, in my hometown. And I thought that was just an incredible idea I thought it would be a great bucket list type of item to be able to say you did that once and then to immediately retire uh, after that from running. But uh, I did one half marathon and just absolutely caught the running bug. I just found it so um, joyful and fun and uh, just something I absolutely loved. And I've, I've kept it up ever since that day. I, I actually have a dream of uh, doing a half marathon in every state in the United States. So it, it would kind of be able to cross a couple, you know, goals off my list to be able to see a lot of the country. definitely a Southern guy. You got your bachelor's in psych from Wake Forest University, medical school at University of Kentucky, and then we stole you back for UNC (laughs) uh, for residency. So before you got your start kind of in higher ed, where did you grow up? I grew up in in Kentucky, in the lovely burb of Lexington, Kentucky, 
when I say Burb, it's, it's a city of more than 300,000 people. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was born in China, but came to the United States when I was two years old. So very much grew up in America, lived, lived my whole life in the South. You know, Kentucky, for, for those who are the, the uninitiated, of course, we're known for, uh, you know, horse racing, urban, and uh, college basketball. I don't think I really participated in any of the three, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, it was a lovely place uh, to grow up. And, uh, uh, but also when I got to move to North Carolina and I've lived here now for many years, I've also really loved the state as well. I grew up in Cary, North Carolina. And so mm. I relate with the suburbs piece because we say town of Cary, North Carolina, but it's really should just be its own city at this point with a, a population of a several hundred thousand or 100,000. We're going to edit that out. Uh, <laughs> so kind of going back to kind of that hometown mindset and kind of young Winston and growing up in kind of the suburban area, what was he like? Nerd. And I, I think that's probably pretty accurate. I have memories as a kid of loving to read. I would be the kid who I would open up textbooks that my dad had in his library of, of psychology and just being utterly fascinated about all these theories about human behavior. I think really that was the start of my interest in, in psychiatry is just explaining and understanding why people behave the way they do. I thought it was just so fascinating and just, just so intrinsically interesting. U.S. history textbooks and watching PBS documentaries as a kid. Uh, you're, you're getting the picture here, Judson. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I've always been very compelled and really moved by people who can express and communicate very effectively. Movie stars and great actors, but also also politicians who can communicate very effectively in, in speeches and in debates. I've always found that really, really moving and, and very impressive. Did you ever see yourself immediately in medicine at that age? Or was it something that you feel was a seed that grew? Um, maybe more of a seed. I, I think I wasn't someone who grew up always, you know, convinced I wanted to be a doctor. I, I was, um, uh, I think, never, uh, never had that amount of certainty when I was, was younger. But I think those interests, those passions were, were there. And then only later on was I able to see more clearly how I might, you know, navigate those interests into an actual job or an actual career. So I was kind of curious, you know, within the nature of your work, I, I'd imagine there's lots of boundaries that you have to set for yourself professionally and personally uh, to do your job at the best degree. And so I wanted to ask kind of how your social circles have changed. Yes, uh, I think I hang around, hang out around a lot more psychiatrists now probably than before, but that, that's probably just related to who my coworkers are. <laughs> but I, you're absolutely right. Because of the nature of the job, the nature of our, our work, dealing with you know issues that are very, very personal, um, very many sensitive matters, certainly affects you even you know when you leave the hospital campus. One is, I think, it, because the work can often can be very emotionally draining and, and stressful, I think it really makes you appreciate even, even, even more folks who are empathetic and gracious and, and kind because you realize how 
how meaningful and how important that is. So I, I think I've probably sought that out more, maybe unconsciously in, in life and valued that more, maybe more than any other quality in a human being, honestly. And as much as I can try to embody those traits myself because you you appreciate I think even more when you when you see folks who are going through incredible stresses and emotional challenges you really appreciate how how much kindness and, and empathy can can mean totally I agree when I was a teacher I came to find the skill and the art of empathy is something so important for me to find in other friends and and folks that weren't even associated with my profession. You know, I admired the patience that people could have and attentive listening and active listening. Those are certainly skills that you have to have as an educator to work with other people. I also found kind of relating to you too, I, you know, I hung out with a lot more teachers because it felt nice to be able to debrief and relax and feel comforted that, you know, these people understand what I'm going through. They understand that this information we talk about kind of stays within our circle and we're not going to talk about specific students, which I'm sure is, you know, in the similar case of patients. I also realized too that there were a lot of things disclosed to me in that job from, you know, adolescence that really challenged me when I was off the clock. And I had to sit with a lot of stories and, and comments and, and past traumas of other folks that weren't mine. And I felt that I held them for too long. Or I, I let them kind of manifest in my own life in weird ways. And I find found therapy, thankfully, to be able to see someone and I continue to see for my own mental health, because it was so helpful to be able to unload that burden while still keeping my cup full to serve others. This is where, you know, having coping skills, coping mechanisms is, is so key because the work is can be incredibly uh, stressful and, and draining and finding healthy ways to cope and to manage that is is, is really critical. Um, for me, really, the being able to be outdoors, be able to go for a run after work is, is really meaningful. As you kind of alluded to, having great colleagues is is such such a great thing to have to have folks you can you can talk to and to get support from and just to be around people whose whose presence you enjoy is, is really meaningful. I think that's that's my favorite part about being at UNC. While we're young people, for sure, we definitely both can relate to kind of an experience of childhood where, you know, we didn't have the internet or yet or, you know, cell phones of our own, much less have a cell phone in the, the house of, of a parent or such. And now I'm sure folks coming through medical school, coming through residency, may have not experienced a lot of their time when there were not these these ways to connect with others so much and so instantly. What advice would you give someone that's up and coming in the field uh, who's trying to build their own social network? It's, it's tricky. And as, as you, I think, so nicely put it, there's such a generational difference, I think, between folks of, of different ages, between maybe you and I, if, if I'm going on out a leap here, Judson, where we grew up, you know, at a time where there was no internet to where there was 
good old dial-up internet where you couldn't make a phone call when you were online and things were very, very slow to what the internet is today to folks of, uh, you know, maybe Gen Z who, you know, always had a cell phone, you know, accessible or in their hand. That's the norm. It's a double-edged sword. It can have great benefits and have so many incredible strengths, but also there's there's a dark side to it and there can be a downside to it. I, I would sum up in two quotes. One is, you do you. Social media, a lot of it can promote tremendous personal expression and creativity. I've seen people really use it successfully to connect with others, including, by the way, in our group in medical education, I've seen, you know, MedEd, Twitter, people use it really effectively to enhance professional connections and make contacts outside of uh, their own department. And then there's the other side where people, you know, post things that are unprofessional or don't use it in a smart way. And and for that, I, I think of a quote from one of my favorite movies, The Social Network, about the founding of Facebook. Uh, there's a quote I love where uh, I think it's the Rooney Mara character. She, she says, the internet is written in ink, not in pencil, which I always thought was um, a great line and also very true. I mean, you can you can delete your tweet or take down your photo, but that stuff is preserved forever somewhere and people can capture a screenshot and, and you know, it just can have a life of its own. So I, I think that's the other side of it. That's the word of caution. When it comes to racial and ethnic diversity in medicine, there's a long, long road to go to continue passing the microphone to people of color, promoting access to future generations of doctors, researchers, professionals, these high impact fields that we continue to need folks that can represent who our world is rather than just one group of people. As an Asian American, what what are your impressions of this moment in our history? Yeah, I think about that in in several ways, both, I think, personally, and also maybe at a, at a wider, you know, systems level. First and foremost, I'm, I'm glad that these matters are much higher in the national consciousness and attention than they were even, you know, a year or, or two ago. History is interesting in, in that way, I guess, whereas these issues, I think, have always been, been present and been important, but for whatever reason, it's only certain periods of time where they get raised to the forefront of, of the national attention, but I, I think uh, it's good that it is, and I think we should really seize on it when, when uh, and strike while the iron is hot, when people are really excited and energized by these things. As a nation, I think like any minority or any, any uh, minority race in the country, we have our own, I think, history in, in the United States and our own role and identity and then how I think we, we fit in. I think just in terms of just thinking about medicine, you know, Asian Americans, as far as I know, are the only overrepresented minority. There's a lot of talk, reasonably so, about underrepresented minorities in medicine, but but Asians are the only um, overrepresented minority, which is, I think, um, uh, you know, kind of an interesting dynamic. Based on the statistics, of course, that's absolutely true. I think last time I, I took a look at this, actually, um, I think about 7% of the country is Asian, but 16 or 70% of doctors are, are Asians. So we're, we're certainly overrepresented. Despite that, that doesn't mean that 
you know, when it comes to feeling included or, or feeling like the playing field is completely even, I, I'm not sure that captures everything. One thing I, I think about and a lot actually is leadership positions. When you think about inclusion and just what you could do in your own career, I think often you look up to trying to find mentors or role models. And for example, 16 to 70% of leadership positions like chairs or residency program directors or deans are Asian. So I, I think there certainly are a large portion of Asians in medicine, but I think when it comes to leadership, I think we're, we're actually underrepresented. So I think that's one dynamic that is is uh, of noteworthy, and I think about as an Asian American. You know, in my own personal experience in life, it, it comes up sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously, and I I think that's influenced just how I respond and, and think about things. I've had moments where uh, just uh, I've had moments that were upsetting and and distressing, like um, having patients. You know, the first time I meet them say, I, I can't work with you. I need an American doctor immediately asking me if I know Kung Fu or if I'm related to Bruce Lee. But then there have been other moments where, where I think being Asian or folks, of course, can immediately tell by looking at me that I'm Asian, where we were able to connect. Like I've, some of my patients who are Asian, I, I think, or maybe felt more like they could connect with me more easily. Or because I, I happen to speak a little Chinese, they felt when they learned that or when they recognized that, that also, I think, helped build rapport or build um, a sense of trust to me. So I, I think I've seen kind of both sides of it. Knowing a few a few words in someone's native tongue, I, I relate with that in Spanish a lot because while it's not my native language, being proficient in Spanish and having a student's family not be able to speak English and and knowing that they speak Spanish and being able to to communicate with them, it's it does create a new sense of trust and understanding because many Americans are not afforded the opportunity, unfortunately, to live and travel in other places of the world for extended amounts of time. And for me personally, having lived in, in South America for quite some time too during college, it was nice to, you know, occasionally just have that moment of just, oh my gosh, like you, you speak English. Like, can we just talk about the weather for a second? Because I'm so tired. Like, it, it, it definitely flipped the script for me to have more empathy towards the folks I work with who do not have the predominant language represented in their culture. You've had so many accomplishments this past year, even amongst a pandemic, which is really profound because it's so hard to just do right now anything basic needs and just kind of surviving day to day. Is there an accomplishment of a recent accomplishment that you're most proud of? When I think about that, I... The, the thing that comes to mind actually is is actually relates to one of your prior guests on, on the podcast, and that's that's Dr. Katie Wynell. Actually, one of the, the things that has just delighted me the most is that I had the opportunity to mentor Katie uh, as, a, as she went through residency and to see all of her success and accomplishments, including being, you know, as a resident on the leadership council of, of AOE to see how she's really, you know, taking the rein on these projects and initiatives in the academy and, and all the professional success she said. I, I actually, that is, brings me a lot of joy. And that, that's something I'm really, really proud of as, as her mentor, as, as someone who's watched her, her meteoric rise. I actually point to something like that. That's what I really take joy in. And um, that's to me what being 
you know, being a teacher is all about. To be clear, Katie is so talented and creative and hardworking and, and conscientious that she would have done those things without me. Uh, I deserve no credit, but perhaps to preserve my ego, I like to think I had <laughs> some small part to do with that. The truth is, you know, growing up, even now, I, I never felt I was the smartest person, the most articulate or witty person, uh, the brightest bulb in the room. Uh, I was never going to be, I don't think, the, the Serena Williams or the Roger Federer on the metaphorical court. But I thought if I have any talent, if I have any ability, it just might be being um, the coach of that person, being the mentor where I could help them realize their own potential to guide them, to motivate them and to help them realize their success. And, and that's why I I found myself in this teaching niche and why I love it so much is to just be around bright stars like that. And when we talk about success, there's also a lots of things that happen below the surface of the water of the iceberg of mistakes and failures and, and things that didn't go quite right. Could you tell us about a time that you haven't found success or things didn't go your way? You mean besides buying GameStop stock last week, Judson? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm no, cutting wait, this wait. off right now. <laughs> oh, that was a joke, to be clear. Uh, <laughs> apologies to the listeners in, in 2022. That'd be a very dated reference soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go back and Google GameStop 2021 <laughs> um, and go find Winston on Reddit, uh, probably <laughs> managing that entire page. But that's besides the point. <laughs> you know, of course, I, I've had many um, mistakes and failures. I think. I've made mistakes that I regret, and but I've also learned a lot from them. And I think those failures actually have been much more instructive than the successes. I, I think often for me, the times that have gone well, I just kind of shrug and move on and, and that's it. When things don't go well, that really, I think, sit with me and that thought about and analyzed much more deeply. So as cliche as it sounds, I, I think those are actually the learning experiences. I think the biggest regrets that I've had over the years, as I think back, is not the things that I did and, you know, did poorly or didn't do well, but just the things that where I didn't act or I didn't, you know, try something or didn't take up an opportunity. I think the things that I regret the most are just the opportunities that I passed up and never tried to pursue. I think those are ones where you just always have the what if in your mind. If what if I had tried to pursue that research project or to talk to this person, this mentor, or this person that I got excited about? Those are the moments that I, I actually I think are my, my biggest regrets now looking back. That, that's how maybe how I, I think about it now more than anything. Of course, there are, there are things where I really would, if I had a time machine, I might do that differently. But, you know, it's also the kind of thing where who knows how that might have shaped you as a person, sometimes for the better to have lived through that and survived it. Uh, so that's kind of a, a <laughs> evasive answer, Judson, but- uh, Evasive Winston. No, we're here to share the dirty deets. No, <laughs> I, I appreciate that answer because it is, it's a heavy question. And the reason I ask it is one thing I've certainly learned growing wiser. Oftentimes things don't go right. Like, you know, the successes are very few and the mistakes are many. And as you mentioned it, that's, those are learning opportunities as like as bitter as they can taste. I think that we need more of that vulnerability. You know, there's so many ways to show success these days of, as we've chatted today amongst social media, instant communication with folks of being able to show, you know, here's my award, here's my honor, here's like my bang in selfie, like 
<laughs> but they don't see like the nights like I'm laying on the couch in sweatpants with ice cream and YouTube and <laughs> um, you know just the really the, the days where things just aren't working well and I think it helps especially younger generations kind of see that not every day is that parade and that we we absolutely need the cloudy days otherwise without the rain the plants don't grow. That's so true Justin I think that's a great point uh, at the risk of sounding like Joe Biden I will say my, my dad had a saying, I won't say my pop had a saying, but my, my dad had a thing he would tell me that I still remember is that he would say, you know, life, it's not going to be so perfect for you, uh, which might be an odd quote to, you know, share publicly, but I've always kept that in mind because, yeah, things are never perfect, you know, you're going to have the ups and downs in life, but I think that's also healthy to acknowledge that. You know, it's not just, yeah, a, a big stream of winds. That's not realistic. That's that's not what anyone's real life is like. So I, keeping that in mind, appreciating, um, you know, you'll, you'll have your failures, you'll have your unglamorous moments. That, that's, I think, what kind of keeps me, keeps me grounded as well. It's just, I think that's always been my life philosophy. It's not going to be perfect. So one cool thing that folks may not know is that you went through the original program of residence teachers, took a hiatus, now we're back, and you're facilitating that program with uh, Dr. Katie Wynell and Dr. Eric Schwamer. So how has it changed? How have you seen that program evolve from being participant to facilitator now? Yeah, it's it's quite something to uh, sit on the other side of the table, metaphorically, and to go from the learner to the teacher uh, in that concrete sense. I think some of the themes of it have, have stayed. We have always uh, targeted these sessions for the residents to improve their teaching and to work on concrete skills. The biggest change probably, frankly, has just been in the pandemic world, we're doing it virtually now. We used to have, you know, these lovely sessions in person. Uh, we could do things like, you know, sit within six feet of each other and actually, uh, you know, share bread together. They would, we'd have a nice, uh, you know, there was a nice dinner meal back in the day that was shared and uh, probably a little easier to, you know, connect with people um, side by side. What I think is is neat now is we have assembled this really incredible team of folks, or really Katie has, and uh, we have all these folks from different specialties of different experiences teaching the residents. I think there's a lot of innovative ways we've used technology to connect people and to make the sessions more active and engaging and have more active participation. So there's been some twists to it uh, to reflect you know, life in 2021. But overall, I think the heart of the program has been the same, and that is to give these residents uh, an experience of connecting with people outside of their immediate department who share this passion for teaching and and also to give them some concrete skills and in training and improving. Thank you for doing that work, Winston, because it's exciting to have that program available. It's not available to to many folks in this position as residents and fellows to be able to go through. And I just think I've been so proud of it to see and learn a lot from just being there in the room, the fly on the wall. It's been a long day. You're tired. You've got a little bit of a drive home. What song are you going to blare in your car to let the stress just melt away? 
I fully confess I love to blast the music in my car and 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 hope that no one is looking and you know bob my head up and down. I like something you know kind of upbeat, um, pop. Calvin Harris, Ellie Goulding. Uh, I like a little Dua Lipa. I'll confess, love those things. But and then on the other side, I also like acoustic covers of pop songs. Hmm. Um, is there a specific song you're caught on right now there's a nice version of i like uh, stand by me by uh, florence and the machine i'll give that uh, that recommendation thanks again to dr winston lee from the department of psychiatry for giving his time today I'm your host, Judson McDonald. This interview was recorded on February 8th, 2021. This has been AOE Engage, the podcast from the UNC Academy of Educators. And hey, if you liked what you listened to, and you know a star medical educator with some great stories, please reach out to us. Send a message to aoe at med.unc.edu. You can also learn more about the UNC Academy of Educators at our website, med.unc.edu forward slash AOE. And hey, we love getting new listeners. Help us do that by liking, subscribing, and rating the podcast. And with that, until next time. I really want to go back and re-record that piece and have you do your Joe Biden impression from Scranton, <laughs> but we'll we'll give you time to work on that and we'll have yeah. you back on the pod in like a year, I think is good. Uh, we'll, good. we'll let you work on your Joe Biden work. <laughs> the opinions expressed by the guests and contributors in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the University of North Carolina School of Medicine.